1: Your number one source for everything Chicago Bears draft news, analysis, scouting reports, and more. Presented by Blue Wire Pods. And now, making their way to the podium, Andrew Freeman and Usade Koshal.
2: Two picks for polls. A Chicago Bears draft podcast presented by the Bear Report and Blue Wire Pods. My name is Andy Freeman, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, UCA Cultural. We're recording this episode on Wednesday, November 1st. We are through the month of October and into really the middle of the season here, which, I mean, I guess for a lot of Bears fans, <laughs> we're looking forward to like it's, it's halfway over. We just got to get to the finish line through this thing. But uh, before we get to talking about everything that's gone down today, and we do have a lot to talk about today, uh, you say, it. how you doing today, man?
3: I am doing well. I mean, it's been a weird like 60 to 72 hours at this point because there is, and I know I drop this line at least once a year on this podcast, but there is never a dull moment when it comes to covering the Bears, whether it is January in the Senior Bowl all the way to the draft combine, free agency, the NFL draft. Then you got rookie OTAs and mini camp, training camp, even, and then preseason in the regular season. And there's never, ever, ever a boring moment per se when it comes to covering this team. Cause they just find, I feel like new ways to consistently surprise us in a good and bad context, by the way.
2: I mean, we saw a lot of that this week. I mean, First of all, we have another coach on the staff being uh, <laughs> fired for I don't I don't want to call it HR related reasons. So more drama with the coaching staff and, and more turnover there, which just typical with this organization under this regime. Um, it just the drama never ends. Um, but we also have a lot of news to talk about today because you know the Bears coming off their loss to the Chargers on Sunday. night. We, we're not going to get too much to the game because. It was a slaughter. I mean, Tyson Bajant came back to down to earth a little bit in this one. You know, the defense couldn't stop Justin Herbert. We, we don't have to go through all that stuff. But I think the big news in terms of this week is that the Bears were active at the trade deadline. Once again, for the second year in a row, so Ryan pulls not afraid to pull a trigger on adding talent at the trade deadline. And doing so by bringing in defensive end from the Washington Commanders, Montez Sweat in a trade uh, where uh, – the bears are giving up a second round pick here. Um, So definitely not a cheap price. And you would assume that uh, they would try to work out an extension with sweat since he's in the final year of his contract. So big news coming out and and this all happened. uh, This happened today, I believe or yesterday Um, it's hard to keep track of things (laughs) so many times it seems like, but yeah, Montez sweat, big trade coming in here yesterday. and. Yeah, I'll just say this: You said, "What do you make of the trade, and what do you think the Bears' thought process is with making this move now, despite the fact that they are two and six heading into um, the midseason here, midseason checkpoint?"
3: I mean, if I'm going to be honest, I am really indifferent about this trade, and here's why: because Montez Sweat, again, a guy who's a first-round pick back in 2019, a player who. Has averaged about six and a half to seven sacks a season since he's entered the league about five years ago. So from a sack production standpoint, I mean, it's definitely there. Talk about a guy who can go ahead and is going to be able to consistently get after the quarterback. But where it gets messy for me with this team is you gave up a second round pick. And I put this on Twitter today, by the way, or X, whatever you want to call it. And I said, I don't have a problem with giving up a second round pick. What I do have a problem with is that it's been about 28 hours since the Bears have traded for Montez Sweat. And yet there's no contract extension in place. You listen to him speaking to the media on... Wednesday afternoon at Halas Hall, you listen to Ryan Pauls on Wednesday afternoon too. And it's very clear right now that you just gave up a high premium draft pick for a pretty solid player, but you don't have that contract extension in place. Now people may not want to hear this, but there's a handful of things to understand is that number one, as soon as you trade for a player or as you're finalizing the trade, like there needs to be a contract negotiation and there needs to be an extension that at least has the framework outline. And it, judging by what Ryan Pohl said, judging by what Montez Sweat said, it pretty much sounds like those conversations with Washington were – yeah, you know, we'll give you guys a second for Montez Sweat. That's going to be the end of it. And Washington, with the new ownership group, was just like, yep, go ahead and take him. We will take your high second-round pick. And so it's kind of at a point where, again, the Bears needed some additional pass rushers. They beefed up the pass rush with this move. Is it necessarily going to be enough to strike fear into the hearts of opposing offensive lines and quarterbacks? No, and... Here's why. Because the Bears have 10 sacks on the season. You're looking at, what, 10 sacks in eight games? That's an average of about one and a half sacks per game, right? And so adding a great player like Montez Sweat helps bring more juice to your pass rush. But be realistic, the guy's never had a 10-sack season. He's never hit double-digit sacks at one point in his career. And to a lot of people, the definition of what is a game-changing pass rusher is someone who is consistently getting you know, 10, 12, 14, 15 sacks a year. And again, Montez Sweat can do that. He has the potential, but he just has not been put in the right position to do so, playing alongside guys like Chase Young, Deron Payne, and Jonathan Allen. So it's kind of at a point where, you know, for the Bears, this is a move that's about the short term as well as the long term. Giving up a second-round pick sucks in a bit, but... It kind of was a move that needed to go ahead and happen, and now you just have to lock him up for the season ends because for all the people that are like, yeah, well, you have so much time to go ahead and lock him up to a contract extension. The point is, there's number one, there's no guarantee that he even signs a contract extension here. He might just walk at the end of the year, and then you're forced to franchise tag him, which then leads to issues of players just wanting to hold out. And then the last thing I will say is this is one of the examples that was cited to me today on social media was, yeah, well, the Ravens traded for Roquan Smith last year, a day before Halloween in 2022. And they waited six or seven weeks for him to be able to sign and negotiate that contract extension, really begin discussions. But there's a key difference here. Number one, the Bears are in no way, shape, or form the Ravens. The Bears have shown us that they're a consistent dumpster fire year after year after year. Once every five to seven years, as my good buddy A.J. Desai loves to say, they have a winning season. And number two, the Ravens are one of the best-run organizations in the league. They always figure it out with their best players. The Bears, though, they cannot consistently figure things out. That's evident with the Jalen Johnson stuff. That was evident with the Roquan Smith stuff. So it really gets to a point, you know, where again, you bring Montez Sweat in, you just hope that they can finally figure it out before this ends up in a completely messy situation that sees the Bears basically rent a guy for a second round pick for half the season.
2: Yeah, there are a lot of moving parts with this trade, there's a lot to kind of consider here. When evaluating it, first, I'll talk about what the Bears are getting uh, from a player standpoint because, you know, Montez Sweat is a solid player. He he is a a good pass rusher on the edge. Um, Is, like you said, is he like a dynamic number one edge guy? Is he a game changer, you know, on the edge? I lean towards saying no. To me, he's a high end number two edge rusher. But a low end number one guy. And what's kind of, I guess, help Montez sweat or even hurt, he could argue hurt it in terms of production. Um, but you know, the fact that he's been playing on a loaded Washington commander defensive line that has four first round or three other first round picks, four in total, when you combine Sweat on that group. Um, you know, he, he's not he hasn't been in a situation where he's had to be the guy that defenses have to game plan against and, you know, worry about taking him away. You know, he's kind of been a guy that can kind of be the benefactor of playing next to um, some other really talented pass rushers there. When you talk about guys like, you know, Chase Young and Darren Payne and Jonathan Allen, like the list goes on and on. They got some really talented pass rushers and and Payne and, and Allen specifically got paid over the last couple of off seasons to the best interior defensive lineman in the nfl especially allen who's been a superstar for them over the last few years he's the guy who's getting most of the attention um you know he he's the guy who's getting most of the attention from opposing offenses and you know sweat it has given him a lot of um you know one-on-ones over over the years and that's kind of that's obviously helped him quite a bit here uh when you're talking about that now He's still a good pass rusher. He's just not a great pass rusher, like you said. Hasn't had a 10 sack season, although you can't necessarily judge pass rushers by their sack numbers, especially um, you know, now when we have more information than ever in terms of, you know, win rates and and pressure numbers. Um, but even in those areas sweat, you know, he's a solid pass rusher in those areas, but he's not necessarily like special in, in those like his career high in pressures is 62, which is good i'd say for a low end number one high end number two type of pass rusher and that happened in 2022 last season which was his best season um he's got 27 this year so far so he's on pace for about 56 57 pressures um somewhere in that mid 50s ballpark which is pretty solid uh production uh, overall but it's not something that necessarily you know jumps off the page or anything you know PFF, I know a lot of a lot of NFL fans like don't like PFF for their grades and their evaluation, but they have him with a 67.1 pass rush grade, which is solid. That's above average, but again, nothing that really, you know, nothing really to write home about. right home about, right? Um, and most of the time, like he's usually bounced between being pretty solid and good. He had a good year in 2022. You know, he's been pretty solid this year overall. So Montez, it's not like you're getting, I think, we have to set the expectation here. You're not getting a dominant alpha pass rusher in the line of a clue Mack here or anything like that, right? He's not on that level of a pass rusher. So we can get that out of the way right now. You're not getting that type of player. Now, what he is is a very good all-around three-down edge rusher who is a great run defender. He's one of the best uh, edge-defending run defenders um, in the NFL. Um, And has been over the last few years, you know, he's a big, tall, strong, long dude. Um, He's an athletic dude. So he definitely fits the mold of what this front office looks for in terms of getting, you know, the big athletic guys on the roster. Um, So you got to like that aspect of it. I think he immediately improves your run defense because, you know, they just, Yannick Ngakwe is a liability out there on the edge. I would assume that he kind of starts in place of him on early downs. And then they kind of put Yannick Ngakwe on there for late down situations. Um, and then as a pass rusher, he adds, I think a lot of power element to your pass rush. He adds the ability to kind of be a guy that can, uh, you know, be a part of stunts and, uh, r- really help open things up for other guys and maybe make plays. Um, but does he necessarily, you know, elevate the rest of this unit this year to where they're going to be some, you know, from that bottom five unit in the NFL to, uh, a top half of the league? no that's not what we're getting here what, what the bears i think what they're what they're thinking here is and what i think Ryan Poles is thinking is that look you look at the edge rushers that are going to be available in free agency in the draft next year um you know there are a lot of talented names that are expected to be free agents but a lot of those guys might not hit the market and if they do um there's no guarantee that the bears are going necessarily be going after those guys or be being able to sign them so i think what Ryan Poles was thinking here was that montes sweat he's a guy that they like um, he, he's a guy that they clearly valued and, and wanted to sign him. If he made it a free agency, so what I think they're doing here is they're, you know, they're giving up a second round pick for basically the rights to um, have him in the building early and basically have negotiating rights singularly with him. They have the, the ability to franchise tag him after this season, um, and that's what I think they're going for. They're, they're trying to get him into the building, see if they can, you know, work on an extension for him. And I'll, I'll say this, like if it turns out to where they can't work out a long-term extension and he just plays the rest of this year and franchise tag year with the bears, I think it's a failure of a trade because a second round pick, especially a high second round pick that the bears are giving up. Probably it's going to be like a top 40 pick. That's an extremely valuable pick. Uh, Not only because of, you know, there are going to be some talented players that fall out of the first round and they're going to be available early in the second, like even go back to this past draft, like Sam Laporta, Looks like he's going to be an elite tight end in the NFL for a long time. He was an early second-round pick, right? Uh, Joey Porter Jr., you know, this is the pick that the Bears gave up for Chase Claypool. He looks like he's going to be a stud corner for the Pittsburgh Steelers for a long time. Like, there are definitely dudes you can get in the in the early second round that can be difference-makers for your team. And the Bears are giving up a chance to get one of those guys on a rookie-scale contract over the next four years in order to bring Sweat in, and I am assuming that they want to pay him. So we can talk about the contract stuff. I, I don't want to get too deep into the weeds there. Cause I'm assuming that sweat's going to have a lot of leverage in this and that they're probably going to have to overpay him in order to get him down here for a long-term extension. But in terms of a draft standpoint, I think this does change up quite a bit in terms of the bear strategy, because now they don't have a second round pick now. And, you know, the Jalen Johnson, they were not able to work out a trade to send him to another team there. So, you know, he, they're probably going to either lose him for nothing or extend him, you would, you would assume. So the Bears are looking at a situation where, where they don't have a second-round pick. Um, how does this, in your opinion, you said, change how the Bears approach the draft now, both in terms of a you know draft pick's philosophy but also a position philosophy? Because this definitely changes how they evaluate and how they pursue bringing in edge rushers um, this offseason.
3: It is a significant alteration in terms of draft capital. And you look at this team, I mean, within a span of hours, they just went from four picks in the top 100 to – Only three picks in the top 100. And that's, again, your two ones and then your one-third round pick. And just keep this in mind for 2024. The Bears don't have a sixth or a seventh round pick. And so all of a sudden, those two ones and this year's draft, or the upcoming draft, I should say, becomes a hell of a lot more important. Now, you look at this from a team-building perspective. And For me, it's tough because, again, you have such an unknown at the quarterback position because in the event that Ryan Poles doesn't bring back Justin Fields and let's just say they trade Fields for whatever they trade him for, you know, whatever they can get and both sides get a fresh start. Effectively, you know, one of those high picks is going to go towards a quarterback because this is just, again, too talented of a class to not select the quarterback. And then, and that is going to be Ryan Pohl's swing at the quarterback position, by the way. And then that second first round pick, you kind of have to play this sort of musical chairs game with it, right? And what I mean by that is you're not going to go edge rusher, which, by the way, there's people out there saying, yeah, the Bears shouldn't go edge rusher at all in the first round next year because there's no Will Anderson type prospect. Newsflash, not every prospect needs to be like Will Anderson. Guys like Dallas Turner, Jared Verse, a couple of the Ohio State guys, you know, they're great players in their own right, by the way. Um, the second thing is this, is the Montez Sweat trade for me takes Ed Rusher as a massive priority off the table. The way that I see it is this, is that you don't have to go edge rusher first round next year. You can kind of make that second pick expendable. You can trade down. You can bring in, you know, another wide receiver. I know everyone loves to talk about Marvin Harrison Jr., but kind of look deeper than it. You know, there's guys like Keon Coleman who could potentially make sense. A couple of the Texas guys like Xavier Worthy, Johnny Wilson even from Florida State, a guy that I'm really keeping an eye on. Because, again, beyond this year, you Don't have Darnell Mooney under contract. You don't have Jalen Johnson under contract. So that second, first round pick, I mean, if the Bears basically decide, hey, we're going to go quarterback and corner, let's say, or quarterback slash wide receiver, that's completely fine. Let's just say in the event you do bring Justin Fields back. Well, then what are you playing with at that point? You're kind of talking about the potential where. You can add you know, a guy such as a Marvin Harrison Jr. with your first pick. And then that second pick, really, you go ahead and you trade down. But again, this second scenario here with Fields being the starter in 2024, it's kind of hard for me as a reporter to envision. Because yes, you want to see Justin succeed. Yes, you want to see him finally figure it out and be the guy. But history is not on his side. History is not on the Bears side because there's no way you can throw him into his third offensive system in four seasons and magically just expect him to kind of go ahead and really figure it out. Now, the second first round pick, again, you can still trade down and target a offensive tackle. If you think that Braxton Jones is not the guy, you can still go ahead and target a wide receiver or a cornerback. So for me going into next year, I mean, those are legitimately kind of the positions to keep an eye on. If you do trade down the board. Let's just say you get that massive haul. Well, then you're likely getting a second-round pick back. You are also more than likely beefing up some of your 2025 draft capital, which the Bears are expected to have a first and two second-round picks in 2025. And then what you're also doing is saying this, right? Like, hey, we are here ready to negotiate and you know, fill any sort of need that we may have. And by the way, I know I just went on a rant, but I'm in no way saying don't go pass rusher round one next year with your second first round pick if the opportunity is there because you've traded back once or twice it's completely okay to get your long-term guy on the roster even with montez sweat
0: we're driven by the search for better but when it comes to hiring the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all don't search match with indeed
2: Yeah, I think this trade does a couple things here. Like you said, I think it does open things up to where they don't have to necessarily address edge rusher in this upcoming draft, um, especially with the high draft pick. I would assume that they would still draft the edge rusher at some point, whether it's a first round pick or, you know, a third round pick, or even on day three. Um, But I don't think it's now it's not a desperate need. Now it's still a huge need because you need two edge rushers. And ultimately, if you want to have a dominant pass rush standpoint, point, you do need to get another edge rusher that's better than Montez Sweat on your roster. Because, again, Montez Sweat is not a number one guy. He's a really dang good number two guy um, who is kind of being forced to be the number one guy as of right now just because of the way this roster is built in, in the moment. But, you know, that does mean that, they, look, they don't have to draft a guy early if they don't see the value in it. And this edge class, you know, there are some intriguing players. You know, we're going to talk about some of these guys a little bit here, but, you know, some of the big names like Jared Verse, Dallas Turner, I like to say lot You know, so, some interesting players in round one. Yeah, I don't necessarily think if the Bears' current draft position at two and three um, would hold. I don't necessarily think that's something to where I draft either of those guys or any of those guys that high in the draft. But in a situation where you trade down potentially, then I could see a scenario where you're drafting somebody um, with a first round pick at edge rusher to kind of pair with Montez Sweat, who's going to be on a long-term deal. You would assume um, by that point, um, if all things work out. Um, And that also leads to my second point, which is that it does, I think lend more credence to the bears, potentially trading down high in the first round. um, If the opportunity presents itself. Now, what opportunity that would be? Well, If they have a top two pick, they're not going to trade out of that because I've, I've, we, we keep on entertaining the idea of Justin Fields being back. I, I'm not anymore. I think it's a done deal. I think, you know, regardless of whether this coaching staff or Ryan Pulse's GM is back next year, like Justin Fields, I think it's over here in Chicago. It's just, we have to kind of face the reality of that. And, you know, I, I'm going to assume that the Bears are going to be looking for a quarterback in next year's draft, which means you're either getting Caleb Williams or Drake May. If things, you know, hold for them, they get a top two pick, which if you're on tank watch right now. You better hope that happens with either the Bears pick or Carolina's pick. Um, Carolina getting their first win certainly makes things a little bit more interesting over the past week. Um, but with that second first round pick, that's where things get interesting, right? Because, you know, we have a clear, clear cut you know, top two guys with Caleb Williams and Drake may teams are still going to be figuring out who the third quarterback is and whether a third quarterback is going to be, you know, worthy of being selected in the top three of the draft or top five, wherever the bears are picking. So, you know, do the bears look to trade down in that scenario? If there's a quarterback that a team really likes and values, you know, do they stay and take Marvin Harrison jr or an offensive tackle? Again, like I said, I don't think there's a nudge rusher that really is on the level to where I'd want to take them at number three overall. I think you'd have to go offense in that scenario. So, yeah, so the sweat thing is interesting because it leaves them without a second-round pick, so now they can't even trade back into the first round if they got to go they really like. So this really is a <laughs> confounding – it's a confusing trade to me, you say, because there are elements of it that I like, um, and there are elements of it that I just, like, I really don't like it philosophically given where the Bears are at, you know, because the Bears, we don't know what their long-term outlook is at quarterback. We don't know what their long-term outlook is at head coach. There are holes all over this roster. And, yes, Montez Sweat fills one of those holes. But also we, we have the whole, like, is he even going to be signed to a long-term deal? It doesn't sound like the Bears were even prepared to give him, you know, a long-term deal as of yet. So it's like there is just so much uncertainty, I think, with this trade right now that we're just going to have to wait and see what the situation entails. But from a draft standpoint, like, I do think it hurts them in the standpoint of not having that draft capital in the second round is really going to be something that I think we look back on and say, man, I wish we made – I wish we would have had that extra pick. The same thing that happened with the Chase Claypool trade last year, right, where, man, Joey Porter was there at, at the beginning of the second round. Sam Laporta was there. Brian Branch, um, Keanu Benson, some of these really high-end prospects were there early in the second round. We could have had one of those guys to kind of build on this roster a little bit, and in, in the worst-case scenario that the Bears somehow fall outside of the top two, whether it's Carolina or their own pick in the draft, and you're looking at, you know, on the outside of the Caleb Williams and Drake Maystakes, they're – Having that extra second-round pick is extremely valuable, especially because you're going to want, if you have an opportunity to move up, because I'm pretty sure the Cardinals are going to be a top-two pick at this rate. They look awful at this point. Like, I don't know if the Cardinals are going to be moving on from Kyler Murray after this year. So they're going to be trading that pick to the highest bidder. And if you're the Bears and you're outside the top two, like wouldn't you want to have that second-round pick in your bag to be able to move up and get the number one pick or the number two pick to draft Drake May or Caleb Williams. Like that that's part of this trade that really just, I don't know, eats at me, right? Because I always I, I always have to think about the worst case scenario with these these sorts of things. And I don't know if I'm just being crazy with that, but that's something that also kind of worries me as well with the steal, even though I do like the player bring him in.
3: Yeah, and, you know, I'm just kind of getting a gauge for kind of what's going on right now with some of these trades. And, you know, again, you look at a lot of these trades, right, that kind of took place in this 2023 NFL draft. And, I mean, it is – it's it's weird. and And, again, it's weird because – if you look at like the Cardinals and Texans trading, right? The Texans pretty much got, you know, a first and a fourth round pick in 2023. And then the Cardinals, right, got a first and a second round pick. Okay. And again, that was, you know, a big jump up the board there. And then you look at, you know, the Cardinals basically trading again with the Lions. And again, the Lions ended up getting Arizona's first and second round pick in 2023 as Arizona kind of got it the Lions first and third round pick. But the point I think is this, right, is this whole conversation about these second round picks is so polarizing. And it is that way simply because, again, your second round is really where there is still a hell of a lot of gold to be struck because every year you have about, let's just say, give or take, you know, 35 to 42, 43 players, right, that the general media kind of comes out with and says, yeah, these are guys that you could certainly see having a first round grade. And you see all the mock drafts and everyone runs through them from all the major outlets and Twitter and everything. And what happens is this, is there's so many different combinations of guys that could go in the first round that inevitably those ones that do slip in the second round still are really talented. And so then it kind of becomes this, Sort of guessing game, right? In terms of these second round picks, like their high picks, so teams are kind of hesitant to want to part with them because you know there could possibly be a top 20 or a top 25 player that you know slips all the way to number 34, number 35 now. And if you don't have that second round pick, you know, you kind of just hostage yourself, and so. Really, for the Bears, I mean, you're going to have to get a massive haul from a team to even be able to recoup that second-round pick. And, I mean, let's just be honest. Sitting here, you know, in November, you have picks two and three right now. But you're right. Judging by the way that this season goes, I mean, it's more than likely that the Bears, by the way, have games against Arizona and Carolina coming up over the next basically six to eight weeks, but there's no guarantee, right, that you go ahead and you even finish within the top five. And one other thing to understand is this, is this 24 draft for me, and I know for you as well, sitting here in the summer was supposed to kind of be the map. I'm sorry, it was supposed to be the draft that got the Bears finally back to relevancy. But that was all contingent on the quarterback position and Justin Fields taking that massive 30 year leap. And since he hasn't taken it yet, we are now once again in the conversation for the third time in basically eight years of, hey, who should the Bears starting quarterback going to be and who should the Bears draft? We are also, unfortunately, Justin Fields not breaking out or really hampers you and handcuffs the franchise in a sense because – Instead of investing in other elite young talent, a.k.a. Marvin Harrison, Olu Fashanu, Kool-Aid Ministry, the cornerback, a few of the edge rushers, what exactly are you having to deal with? You're having to deal with, well, crap, now we have to figure out the quarterback position all over again. So instead of building around a super talented quarterback, you're basically having to reset the entire clock, which in a sense is kind of counterproductive because – Adding, you know, some of these high top five picks to this roster would have really kind of set the bears up real well for the next few years.
1: Whether you're a world class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.
2: Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's really fascinating. Um, It's just, yeah, it was just one of the moves that I just, I didn't really expect. I heard kind of the tea leaves of, you know, maybe the bears will be in the market for buying. And at first I was like, no, like you're two and six, like, what are you doing buying for? But then it happened. And, you know, like I said, there are, there's a world where this works out. You know, you get an extension done with Sweat, you don't run your draft position, you get, you know, a top two pick, you get your quarterback, and things work themselves out in terms of you know losing the second round pick. But there's also a world where this doesn't work out, where sweat, you know, he, he sets his price really high because he has all the leverage here. He doesn't get extended long term, and you're playing the franchise tag game with him. Um, you know, you you fall outside the top two and you're in a position now where you're kind of stuck (laughs) with between like, are we committing to Justin Fields for another year or do we go after quarterback three or do we try to trade up but we don't have a second round pick to trade up with? Like there are a wide range of outcomes here. And to me, this was, you know, this is definitely, this is a very, like you said, polarizing move. And is a polarizing move for a polarizing organization right now that just, it, it feels like, a regime that felt like it was desperate to make a move, and I don't know. We'll see if it works out here. It's uh, it's going to be very fascinating. We we have a lot of time to kind of see how this plays out. And Sweat, he'll be. It sounds like he'll be playing for the Bears on uh, this upcoming week against the Saints, and so yeah, we'll see what happens there. We'll see how he performs. Um, I'm excited to see how this works out, and it should be something that we're going to be talking about, I'm sure. For the remainder of this year going into the offseason. Um but something else that we'll be talking about uh, throughout the rest of this year is the rookie class this year. Now that we're you know halfway through the season, it's time for us to get to our midseason rookie report and talk about some of the guys who've impressed some of the guys who have uh you know not played up to their billing so far. And so you say I I don't want to spend too much time on this because a lot of the guys on the Bears that they drafted haven't really contributed as much as, you know, we maybe thought they would, or maybe just because of the the other guys in the roster, they just haven't really had the opportunities as of yet. So we'll start with, you know, some of the big names here. Let's start with Darnell Wright. First impressions of his rookie season so far, you said.
3: Yeah. I mean, Darnell Wright, I think has just been my favorite rookie to watch and You know, this is coming from someone who last year in December actually was fully on the Darnell Wright hype train and said, hey, Darnell Wright's a guy to keep an eye on for this Bears team. And so you look at him, I mean, from week one all the way to week eight, week nine now, he has really progressed steadily. You can tell talking to Darnell Wright as well after the game that things have really slowed down for him. I mean, he's at a point where – The games are going to slow down for him. He's beginning to understand what the guys around him are doing. He's beginning to really get out there, showcase his mobility, kind of get to the second and third level on those running plays, continue to go ahead and set the edge. Pass protection for him has really been the best part of his game this year because he is able to just kind of stand up in pass protection. He's using those really long arms and just continuing to hold off really good edge rushers. Like there was the game against the Raiders where he didn't allow a single sack this past week against the chargers. He didn't allow a single sack at all. So he's getting to a point where things are certainly slowing down for him. And Darnell right. It's tough because he was the second offensive tackle selected in his draft class. But there may be a point where, you know, when these end of season, all rookie teams and all that stuff are coming out that, Donald writes on there as the starting right tackle, because yes, I mean, he's been that good.
2: Yeah. I think uh, among the rookie tackles, he's probably been the best. Uh, Paris Johnson has had his ups and downs in Arizona. Although, you know, he was kind of always a guy that I thought might take a year or two to really find his stride in the NFL. But yeah, Donald Wright. What's impressed me about him is that the run blocking is a lot better than I thought it would be because the book on right coming out of the, out of the draft, out of, out of Tennessee, was that he was a really refined pass protector, great anchor, great athlete, but not a great run blocker for a variety of reasons. Whether it was technique or just um, despite his athleticism, didn't really move as well in, in certain blocking schemes compared to you know the athletic profile that he does have based off of test off of his testing numbers. Didn't really do a good job of sustaining blocks in college, but this year he's been a complete road grader. On uh, in in the run game, and you combine him with Tevin Jenkins on the right side, like man, you are opening up some massive holes on the right side of your offensive line with those two kind of leading the way for you. You know the pass protection, it has been I think expectedly up and down. Like he's definitely had his welcome to the NFL moments, and it seems like two or three times a week he gets beat really bad by a a talented edge rusher, and it's kind of a reminder that like yeah, he's a rookie, he's going to have some of these struggles here, like. You know, we talk about the Raiders game as like a positive for him. Like he was dealing with a shoulder injury during that game, so I also don't want to, you know, I, I don't want to like bag him too much for that. But I do think the pressure numbers don't really reflect how badly Max Crosby was beating him on a lot of pass rushes that time. Like that that's probably the good part about having Tyson Bates out there starting a quarterback. that so he gets the ball out so quick that it can can make up for a couple offensive line miscues, And Wright certainly had his miscues in that game. But overall I'd say he's been pretty solid in pass, pro. Um, he hasn't been egregiously bad or anything like that. Um, he's just been kind of solid there. Again, he, he's taking his lumps. But overall, I think the Bears, I think they have to be really encouraged by what they have. And right, I think I, he looks like he's going to be a 10-year starter for them. And whether he ends up like maximizing his potential and being like an all-pro guy, we'll see what happens there. Um, But I I, I feel very confident at the very least the Bears found a very solid starter for a very long time right tackle, which is a very, very valuable piece to have on your roster moving forward, Um, especially when like left tackle like Braxton Jones might be all right, but it's still, you know, it's a little bit um, the offensive line in general is a little bit like in a weird place right now. You're not sure exactly what you have for the future moving forward. It's nice that you have a building block there. And darn all right, he's one of the few building blocks I feel confident in on this roster. Let's get to the second round guys, Javon Dexter and Tyreek Stevenson. Now, these are two guys that have definitely had their share of ups and downs so far. And I, I guess, like, in my opinion, you said, I, I don't know if I'm wrong on this, but, like, it feels like how you feel about them it kind of goes back to how you felt about them in the draft process and a little bit of eye, eye of the beholder, basically, in terms of how you would evaluate them. Um you know, how do you think their rookie season's going so far?
3: I mean, you kind of said it like how they were in the draft just seems like how they are now. And again, you you have two young guys that are basically playing in this rotation. They, because the coaching staff is in love with Justin Jones, a high-priced veteran, making, I believe, about $6 million this year, you don't really see these young guys get the action that they want and really, you know, the action that they quite frankly need. Now, Javon Dexter and Zach Pickens, to me, just watching them up close in camp a few months ago, I was thoroughly impressed. But also the thing is you can tell that in these actual games when they are standing and lining up across some of these all-pro offensive linemen, which, again, yeah, you're not going to face every week, but you're going to face some damn good old linemen every single week. They do have their fair share of struggles in the sense that they aren't the quickest to get off the football. They don't necessarily have the best pass rushing moves. You know, to me, it seems like gap integrity and just playing solid and sound within both gaps is kind of a bit of a struggle for them, really and part of that is just them not getting a lot of reps that they probably could have used throughout the preseason to go ahead and just, you know, get used to the game. Now, I will say this, Jervon Dexter, to me, has still been incredibly impressive, impressive, I'm sorry, to the point where, you know, next year, I think that the starting spot is going to be his to lose, but you're right, I mean, they both been at a point where it's just a level of inconsistency that really needs to be cleaned up.
2: Yeah. And that was the book on Dexter, right? Not a consistent player in college. He was a very raw guy. And I will say like the get off has been, it's been, it's been much better in the NFL than was it at Florida, like the world's better. So I'm not even worried about that issue anymore with Dexter. He's just a normal um, project player at this point, not the complete just like, oh my God, I don't know if this can work if he can't figure this out, um, that he was coming out of Florida in, in my evaluation on him. Um, now he looks like just a, your classic um, project defensive tackle where you you see the size, the strength, the straight line speed and athleticism and motor that he has. He just has no idea how to use it yet and he'll have some matchups like against Washington where he looks really good. He has six pressures that game, um, had a really high end, you know, PFF pass rush grade um, in, in that one. Um, but you'll get also performances like you see in the rest of the year where he's kind of just there and not really making much of an impact. Um, and it would be nice if the Bears coaching staff would, stop trying to make the Justin Jones experience work and actually play Dexter more where you could see him get more reps and, and more experience. And I guess the same goes for Zach Pickens as well. Zach Pickens, I mean, Zach Pickens really hasn't done anything for me either. I just, I don't really have much of an opinion on him. He was another guy that I thought was kind of overdrafted. So I'm not too high on what he showed me, but at least Dexter has flashed, you know, some really impressive plays and, and some really impressive traits The consistency certainly is not there as of right now, but you can definitely see the vision that this coaching staff and Ryan Poles had for him when they drafted him. And it kind of makes a little bit more sense than when, you know, initially the draft pick happened where I wasn't a fan of the pick. But right now I'd say Dexter has exceeded my expectations, especially as a pass rusher. Um, But I need to see it more more moving forward. He's only got nine pressures on the season. We're halfway through the year. So, and some of that is, he, he hasn't really played a lot, um, but I, I would like to see some more developments of pass rusher there because right now his only move is just being bigger and stronger than the guy he goes up against. And w- when you start playing more quality offensive lines, like against the Lions coming up, like that's that ain't going to work, right? <laughs> so um, we'd like to see a bit more there, but the flashes have been really impressive, and I like what I've seen there. Tyreek Stevenson, he's definitely taken his lumps at corner, and that's kind of to be expected. To put things into perspective, like so far this year, Stevenson, he's giving up 10 yards per reception on the year. He's given up six touchdowns, um, 125.6 passer rating when targeted. So it hasn't been the best start to Tyreek Stevenson's career, but we all know that cornerback does, it, it's a very difficult position to play well right away. So I, I'm not going to say I'm panicking, panicking on Tyreek Stevenson. He was a guy that I really liked going into the draft. But you do want to see him start to make some some improvements going forward here because this is the same thing that happened with Kyler Gordon, who the Bears spent a second-round pick on last year. This is the same thing that happened to Kyler Gordon, right, where he was getting toasted and and cooked, um, you know, early on in the season. And eventually he did figure some things out late in the year, but it just kind of took him a while. Um, You hope that Stevenson can kind of get on a similar trajectory at this point. Kyler Gordon's looked a little bit better, you know, a, a bit more competent in year two so far when he's been on the field. So you hope that Tyreek Stevenson gets more onto that track than continuing the struggle. But yes, yeah, his, his rookie season has definitely been, I think more out, out of the, the day one and day two, t- day two guys, he's definitely had the most struggles I feel like because they throw him into the fire and he just hasn't really, you know, he, he's had his plays here and there, but it, it has been a struggle for him. Moving on to day three, though, I mean, this is where we can kind of like speed through this here because, you know, the only day three guy that is really playing all that much. I mean, I guess you could say Teller Scott is getting some run. Um, Roshan Johnson, when he's been on the field, has been pretty good. You know, other than that, I, I don't feel like the, the Bears have gotten, you know, Terrell Smith had a couple uh, of promising moments against Washington when he was on the field and he got the start, but. You know, day three, it's it's really tough to say right now. What, what do you make of the day three rookies and, and how they performed when they've been out on the field? You said.
3: Yeah, you know, those day three rookies to me have come in and, you know, they've had their impressive moments. I think the big focus for me is just looking at Tyler Scott. He is undoubtedly one of my favorite rookies to go ahead and watch this year every time he does see the field. To me, he's a player that at this point, like after the way Jones played on Sunday night against the Chargers, like that wide receiver three spot belongs to Tyler Scott, a player that is incredibly detailed, understands his assignment, knows and understands and is really conscious of what the defense is going to throw at him. And then really the mental aspect of the game is slowing down for Scott. You look at him as a player, physicality, not necessarily his calling card. Again, he's about 5'10", 5'11". A much smaller wide receiver, but he does love to play bigger than he is. A tough, scrappy wide receiver. Really kind of reminds me of a rookie year, Darnell Mooney. And so for Tyler Scott, they've gotten him involved in the horizontal passing game with a lot of the jet sweeps, the screens, the end arounds. Now the question is to unlock his potential. Can you get him involved in the vertical passing game? And you're certainly seeing the Bears do that more and more each week because what they are doing is – taking more of those intermediate to deep shots and, you know, really giving Tyler Scott a chance to go up and get the football.
0: Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need it fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com.
2: Yeah, Scott, I, I would love to see him be used more as a vertical player that he was in Cincinnati. Um, for whatever reason, I just they just haven't been able to unlock that this year with him. You know, we've seen the vertical passing has worked at times with DJ Moore and Darnell Mooney. But Tyler Scott that was his calling card, and I hate to, I hate to keep on saying that word, but that phrase, but like he, that, that was his thing at uh, Cincinnati. He was a deep ball guy who could get who could burn defenses deep, and that was what he was doing in camp as well. Um, so I'd like to see them unlock that a little bit more, like especially like you said, like Vales Jones is really providing nothing as a third wide receiver. So I I would like to see him get more reps there moving forward. Roshan Johnson, I mean, it's tough because he's been dealing with a concussion. Issues. So he hasn't been on the field as much as you'd like to see. But when he has been on the field, he has shown the ability to break tackles. Not a guy that's going to create too many explosive runs. Um, I mean, we knew that he was not the fastest guy, or most explosive guy in the draft. But you do see the ability to, uh, you know, grind defenses into the dirt. Um, I, I think he's going to get a lot of opportunities as the season goes along here now that he's back healthy. Um, and he, he should get a lot of carries, I would assume. So I think we'll get a better evaluation of where he's at moving forward. There Go to fifth round face, like I said, Terrell Smith and, and Noah Sewell, neither of those guys have really done much. I think I will say Smith, the, the times that he was on the field playing, he's pretty good. And I, I'm sure that's one reason why maybe Ryan Poles hasn't, you know, pulled the trigger yet on a Jalen Johnson extension, even though they are uh, reportedly working on an extension still with him. Although, you know, who knows how, what's going to happen there. That's kind of been a weird situation. Um, but Smith has definitely shown some, some decent flashes, I would say for a fifth round pick and then get to the seventh bell, like Travis Bell actually got picked up by the Atlanta Falcons. So he's not even on the bears anymore. Um, and, uh, you know, yeah, seventh round picks kind of Williamson, you know, on the practice squad and whatever. So yeah, I mean, I would say overall the draft class has been pretty, pretty solid. about what I would expect. I think from a lot of these guys here. And now we'll just have to see over the second half of the year, how these guys respond to, you know, they face some adversity in the first half of the year. How do they continue to develop and get better? Or do they hit a rookie wall, which is something that, you know, we've seen from a lot of these guys as well. Um, but moving on to our last segment here, uh, speaking of rookies, let's uh, let's talk about Dame Brugler's top 50 that, that just dropped on the athletic uh, this past week. So for those who don't know, J- Dame Brugler, one of the best draft guys in the business. Um, usually, his his big boards are some of the most accurate in the NFL in the NFL draft process because he combines his personal um, takes with what he's hearing from NFL executives. And what I find to be the most interesting is you say for those who are watching on YouTube, um, pulling it up right here is that. Um, we have a new quarterback at number one according to Dame Brugler, and that's Drake May as the top quarterback over Caleb Williams, um, which is a very interesting um, I guess, phenomenon to say, but also something that I think is gonna be more popular as the year goes along because um when you really think about it, and this is something I talked about a couple podcasts ago, a couple episodes ago about the Drake May Caleb Williams conversation. Like Drake May has been, in my opinion, the more impressive quarterback this year compared to Caleb Williams. I know two different situations there, but just reading uh, uh, Dane Brugler's write-up on Drake May. Cut from the same cloth as Justin Herbert, May continues to impress with his on-field command despite inconsistent help around him. A tall, well-put-together athlete, he has an explosive release with a touch to threaten every level of the field. He still makes a few more reckless decisions than you want, but his timing has improved, and his aggressive decision-making is more of a strength than a weakness. So, You say, I'll I'll go to you on this one. What do you make of Drake May being Dane Bugler's number one quarterback um, at this point in the year?
3: I mean, in all honesty, I'm not surprised because to me, when it comes to the Drake versus Caleb debate, and again, we'll talk about Caleb in just a moment or two here, but to me, Dane's analysis is 110% accurate because Drake May is the type of player who, again, he's, bigger than Caleb Williams, you know, coming in about 6'4", 230 pounds. And then the just the reality with him is this, is that he's certainly a player who has everything you want from a modern-day NFL quarterback. And I think that those measurables alone just kind of don't limit him to one specific scheme or one specific system. You know, he's a guy who I could certainly see him fitting into – Eric Bieniemy's offense, even Kyle Shanahan's offense, really even Ben Johnson's offense. So there's definitely a high level of versatility there. And just kind of looking at the last sentence here in Dane's scouting report, I mean, makes some reckless decisions, but timing's gotten better. Aggressive decision-making is more of a strength than a weakness. I mean, look, you want your quarterback to go out there and to just pray for I'm sorry, play freely and have fun. And that is what I think Drake Maia is doing to me. He can breed defenses real well, and he has the arm to hit every necessary throw on the field. So this is a guy who, you know, has really earned a hell of a lot of his fair share of praise.
2: Yeah, I'll say this. The one thing I question about Dane uh, uh gosh, I can't even talk today. We're getting so late here. Uh the one thing I will disagree with in there is I don't think he's as reckless with his with his decision making as maybe his report indicates. Like according to like pro football focus, for instance, his turnover orderly play rate is under two percent, which is really, really low, especially for the amount of big time throws that he does have, which is a pretty high percentage. Like Drake Bank does fit the ball into some really tight windows. And when he does, it's extremely exciting to watch because you can see how that translates to the NFL where he's going to have to throw the ball into some tight windows into t- some really close spaces here um, in, in tight coverage. So the fact that he's, he knows how to balance when to do that and how to take care of the ball, to me, that's I think that's going to be his most intriguing trade. And obviously, he's one of the best deep ball passes we've seen in a long time. Like he talked about him being accurate to all levels of the field, it's really apparent when he throws the ball deep, and he gets the ball out on time as well. He's not a guy that's going to hold the ball too long and take a ton of sacks either. So, yeah, Drake May I can see why he's the number one guy. But going down here to Caleb Williams, who uh, Bruler has is his number three. Uh, Bruler has his number three quarterback or number three, not quarterback, a number three overall prospect. So here's what his write up on on Caleb Williams is. I am all for a ban of the word generational when talking about college prospects because it sets near unattainable expectations and makes a player like Williams an easy target for criticism. That said, Williams remains an extremely impressive prospect. He has an above-average arm and a natural feel for accuracy, and his ability to weaponize his creativity remains a differentiating factor between him and most quarterbacks. Williams is fantastic at navigating chaos, but he does hold the ball too long at times. Often he has no choice either because the defense gets immediate pressure with its front four, or his receivers haven't created separation. And when that happens, Williams feels forced to put on the superhero cape, which can lead to negative plays. With the bar set so high, it can be easy to call Williams overrated after a mistake. But let's not lose sight of his tremendous strength as a player. To me, that scouting report is spot on. I, I think he's kind of nailed every sort of talking point for Kyle Caleb Williams at this point in the year. Like. For all the people that were giving the generational quarterback comps, like, yeah, I, I thought that was a little bit too much when I, I heard some people throwing those out there. Like, Caleb Williams is a, is a great prospect. I don't think he's on the the Trevor Lawrence, Andrew Luck, you know, Peyton Manning tier of prospects that were considered generational back in their time. Like John Elway, he's not that type of prospect in my opinion. And I think he does have the weaknesses correct. Like, right? right, like holding onto the ball too long, playing hero ball way too often. Like that, those are the things that you know can give you some concern, I think, for him as a prospect. But I think like Caleb Williams, like he said, like the, the the ability to play off script, the arm talent, the ridiculous ability to make throws on the move and at awkward angles, like it's really incredible to watch. And to me, it's gonna be really interesting to see how this quarterback debate plays out here because we can already see the narratives start to form on these two guys. I'm just curious to see how it's all going to play out in the end.
3: Yeah, you know, I'm really curious to kind of see what goes on here too. You look at, you know, these two really good quarterbacks and quite frankly, you can't necessarily go wrong with either of them. And that's not saying that there's a 1, a 1A and a 1B. I mean, teams are going to have these guys ranked based on things such as intangibles, things such as schemes – scheme fit things such as hey what exactly do you value in a quarterback looking at a guy like caleb williams i mean compare him to drake Mighty and they both have one thing in common that every quarterback needs which is the ability to be a really damn good playmaker especially when the play is breaking down and they've proven that over the last basically two years
2: yeah it's gonna be a really fun conversation to have I, i i expect we're gonna be debating about this all all year long leading up to the draft and it should be a fun one um last thing here before we wrap up and that's going to be talking about the rest of the top 10 here so if we look at this top 10 and kind of scroll through it here so number one we know that Drake may is the top prospect for uh, dave brugo here he has marvin harrison jr as his number two prospect wide receiver at ohio state number three like we talked about caleb williams at number four we have Brock Bowers, tight end out of Georgia. And then number five, We finally get to the offensive tackles, Olufushanu, go all at number six. And then number seven, our first pass rusher, Dallas Turner, out of Alabama. Number eight, we got Keon Coleman, wide receiver out of Florida State. Number nine, Laitu Latu out of UCLA, another pass rusher there. And then rounding out the top ten, offensive tackle J.C. Latham, of Alabama so when I look at that top 10 you say there are definitely some interesting things that I kind of see here what's your one takeaway from Bruler's top 10 and something that stands out to you
3: I mean I would say this I think it really is a solid top 10 but you look at this compared to the last time we discussed some of the top prospects and there's definitely been a lot of movement and you know really what I mean by that is this is that you look at some of the offensive tackles right so Fashana and Joe Alt being ranked top five, top seven is really consistent. Brock Bowers moving up to four is a massive jump from where he was last time. But again, I mean, he's been so off the charts this year in terms of just the way that he's kind of elevated the Georgia offense. Again, Dallas Turner becoming was a top 12 at one point now he's basically a top seven you look at the receivers i mean this was a group that at the start of the year included marvin harrison jr and the second ohio statewide receiver i totally forgot his name it's first and last name starts with an e uh a i think it is but you know This is a group now that includes guys like Keon Coleman. Who who would have foreseen Keon Coleman's rise? And then who would have foreseen Rome Adunze's rise as well? Basically to a top 11 pick, which if Rome keeps this up, I mean, you're talking about a guy that's going to crack into the top 10.
2: Yeah, I would say the top six. I think you can put them in any order. I think it makes sense. Those top top six guys, when you look at, uh, Alts, Fashanu, uh, Bowers, Harrison, and then the quarterbacks, obviously, those are all blue chip type of guys that I think are going to be studs in the NFL for a very long time. Um, so those six, I mean, you. Could, I mean, obviously, Caleb Williams and Drake may probably be top two for me, but the rest of those guys, you can put them in any order, and I would kind of understand it. I find the pass rusher discussion to be the most interesting because Jared verse was kind of seen as the number one guy going into the year and to see him kind of fall, but he hasn't really been the most impressive at Florida state. I, I would say that Dallas Turner, he has been probably um, the guy that's kind of risen the most. Um, he's definitely impressed as a pass rusher this year. He's added some weight over the off season. That's definitely shown. Um, but light Latu out of UCLA is another intriguing name to kind of follow because the thing with him is that he's got a really scary injury history. And I, I think when you look at his tape, he's probably the best edge rusher in this class on, on tape here. But unfortunately uh, he just has not been able to stay healthy uh, over the years. And that is really, really concerning here. And, and also like his, 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 lack of physical tools, it, it can be kind of seen as, as something that could throw, hold him back as well. But you Know his, his, his production has been insane at UCLA. Like, uh, Brewer has a stat out here. So, you know, according to I guess, Football focus here, he has 106 pressures in only 21 games since he transferred to, to UCLA prior to last season. Like, that's insane. That's insane production right there. That's that's over four a game, basically, or about four per game. No, not not four, but that's five per game, basically. So, I mean, he's been a really productive pass rusher at UCLA. Um, the conversation is conversations to be really interesting. It really is because I feel like there's a lot of players that are intriguing, but not that one guy that really stands out at the top here. So that's going to be something that is going to probably change quite a bit. I would assume over the next few months and we'll just have to see where that stands. All right. Um, I think it's time to wrap it up here. You say real quick prediction on the saints game coming up Tyson Beijing getting his third start. Um, Who are you taking?
3: I mean, I'm taking the Saints in this one, and, you know, it's simple. Why? Because the Bears – are a complete mess right now. I don't think much has to be said beyond that. Montez Sweat, I anticipate him being on a pitch count. It's just something that this team and this franchise loves to do when they're kind of easing players into the starting lineup, easing them into kind of the routine of things and a completely new culture. I think the Bears lose this weekend 24-14 to 14 because the Saints have been much better than a lot of people are giving them credit for.
2: I'll take the Saints as well. Um, Derek Carr has not played well, but I think against this um, <laughs> this joke of a defense, he's going to have all day to throw. Even with Montez Sweat, he's going to have all day to throw, and he's going to be able to pick apart this soft zone defense, and um, the Saints are going to be able to score some points in this one. Um, and the Bears with Tyson Bajant, like the Saints do have a pretty solid defense, especially their back seven. So I'd imagine they're going to have a hard time scoring. I'm going go to go 24-10. to is my prediction. Saints win this game in pretty convincing fashion here. Um, it's going to be a tough one for the Bears to win this game. All right, with that said, I think that's going to wrap it up. Um, for all of our listeners out there, make sure to like, rate, subscribe, and review our podcast on all podcasting platforms, including Spotify. And make sure to follow us on social media Social media as well, on Twitter, at Picks for Polls. Uh, make sure to follow the Bear Report as well, at Bear Report. And you say working our listeners find you you on social media and find your work.
3: Yeah, you can find me on social media at Usaid Coachel. Check out my work on the Bear Report website as well.
2: Absolutely, you can find me on Twitter at AJ Freeman twenty five. You can find my work on the Bear Report as well. Keep an uh, keep an eye out for my first mock draft coming up in the next couple of weeks or so. Uh, should be a lot of fun. Uh, that we're already getting the draft draft season already, which. Gosh, I can't believe that we're already talking about the draft with this Bears team halfway through the year, but that's just the state of uh, this Bears organization. But until next time, Bears fans, have yourself a great weekend, and bear down.